I hope you guys are doing well. Today, my name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here at Bethel. Uh, let me say this, uh, if you look around, we have some younger folks with us today. It's a fifth Sunday, which means we have our kids, I believe first grade to sixth grade with us this morning. I, I met a dad in the lobby who's normally not dressed up um, this much. And I said, hey, what's the special occasion? He said, hey, it's a fifth Sunday, my kids are here today. So how awesome is that? That is for this dad, a friend of mine, he says, this is an important day because I get to worship with my kids. So well done, dad, you know who I'm talking to. So for the adults, listen to me very carefully. I expect you to be on your best behavior with the kids here. You know who I'm talking to, right? Best behavior. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the gospel of Matthew Sorry, the Gospel of Luke. We'll, we'll, we'll look at Matthew 19 also, but Gospel of Luke, Luke 18, 18. We'll also look at Matthew 19, but Luke 18, 18. I wanna begin with this story a pastor in Vancouver named Ken Shigematsu shared about his family. His wife's family grew up in Osaka, Japan, and they were known as the family in Osaka that they were the, the animal family. Okay, so they were the ones, if you had a stray dog or cat, um, even a ferret they adopted, you could bring them to their house and they would, they would bring these animals in. Well, one day someone found some wild, uh, wild chipmunks and they, they brought these chipmunks to this family. They said, hey, you guys are the, you're the animal family. You're, you're the doolittles of Japan. You take care of them. So they took this, the chipmunk, there was one that was the, the runt of the litter. They took this chipmunk to the vet and the vet said, um, hey, there's not much we can do. Two days at best, the chipmunk's going to go to chipmunk heaven. And so they took him back and, and his wife named the chipmunk Forte because her heart was that he would grow strong. Well, here's the problem with Forte. He not only didn't die, he grew strong and he thrived. So much so that he would wait for her to come home at night. And when she would come home after work, he would, he would turn circles in the floor or he would turn do figure eights and he would even jump up on the counter and, and jump on the keyboard when she was trying to work. He said, well, where is this going? Hold on. Forte, his favorite possession in the whole world were walnuts. And so when he was younger, he would hide the walnuts in the place that he slept. Uh, it doesn't say where that is. Uh, it would creep me out if that was in the bed, but wherever he slept, that's where he hid the walnuts. But a funny thing happened. As he understood that this family loved him and cared for him, as, as the relationship grew with this family, he began to take half of his stash and place it on their beds where he knew that they slept. Yeah, I think we can learn a lot from this chipmunk. The more we realize that everything we have is, is given by the heavenly father, our master, the more generous we become, the less we quit hoarding where we sleep and say, God, it's all from you anyway. Let us be generous people. And so we continue a sermon series called Back to the Basics. This is part three and it's simply entitled Giving 101. Very simply, Giving 101. So let's read the word of God together. How do we as generous people live in light of the gospel. Luke 18, 18. Now, let me just say this. If your Bible has a title in it, the title of your Bible probably says this, the rich 
young ruler. Okay, just hold that thought. Luke 18, 18. Luke says, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? That is a great question, by the way. Going to Jesus and asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says in verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, I have kept all these things from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Listen, I believe this is one of the most sad verses in all of scripture. Look at verse 23. After the young man heard this, he became exceedingly sad because he was very rich. Father, we have read your word. The word that is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, you can penetrate the recesses of our life more than anything. So we pray right now that our hearts would be open to your word, that our hands would be obedient to your word, and that we would run to the throne, that we would not go sad, but that we would leave here knowing there's a Savior that has prepared a place for us if we believe, if we follow. Lord, we cannot understand your truth apart from your spirit, so we ask that you guide our hearts today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So giving 101, I wanna give you um, three theological principles and then we will look at some practical application. And some of you are saying, here's the pastor speaking on giving again. Jesus, every seven times he speaks, talks about treasure, tithe, or wealth. Every seven times, okay? So it's very important for our lives. This story here is in all three synoptic gospels. What is a synoptic? Soon in the Greek means together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this story. Why? Because it's important. And, and think about the principle of giving. Jesus teaches on giving based on what question? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus talks about treasure. That should wake us up to, to show us how important this is to our Savior and how critically important it is to our lives. And so what is the first spiritual implication that we need to ask God? We're going to camp out in verse 18 when, when this man says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We know very little about this man. From Luke, we know that he is a archon. He is a ruler, most likely in the synagogue. So he's a ruler in the local synagogue. Now, my subtitle doesn't say he's a ruler. It says he's a rich, young ruler. Where do we get that? We get that from Matthew 19. Matthew 19 says that he is young. The word in Greek means it's probably a 20 to a 40 year old man. 
So we know he's wealthy too because he goes away sad. So what do we know about this man? He is rich, Matthew. He is young, Matthew. And he, he is a ruler in Matthew. Think of him like this. He's a morally straight Silicon startup executive, Silicon Valley, right? This guy is everything you want your kids to be and more because you know what? He's honoring his father and mother. Can I get an amen from the parents, right? Okay. This man though asked Jesus a very important question. He looks at Jesus and he says, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal Life. You see, I, I think what's going on here, if we look at the context, that this man has sat at the feet of Jesus already for several parables. And so this question is not a simple question about heaven, it's a question about status. If you look at Luke 18, go back really quick to verse 1, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who has no status in society and a judge. And by this judge's own admission, he does not fear God or man. Very ruthless judge. We don't know where the rich young ruler comes from, but I would imagine he's at the feet of Christ for this first parable. And Jesus says that this widow, she wants justification in her life. And the judge who does not fear God, does not fear man, doesn't care about this lady because she has no status. And the widow won't give up. And because she's persistent, this judge who does not fear God, does not fear man, listens to her. So a lady of no status goes to a judge of much status and gets her way because she's persistent. You say, well, why does that even matter? Well, Jesus tells another parable immediately after the first in verse 9. It's a parable of this Pharisee and a tax collector. And they're going to the same church, First Baptist Jerusalem. And the Pharisee walks in and he's morally right. He is tithing. He is doing what he should be. And he gets up and he prays this prayer. God, thank you for making me. I am awesome. I have kept your word. And God, thank you. I am not like that tax collector, a Pharisee of status. And yet we have another young man tax collector walks in he's beating his breast and says God have mercy on a sinner such as I and the scriptures said this the one who humbles himself will be exalted parable of status but Jesus doesn't end there look at the next parable or the next episode in verse 15 people were bringing infants to him and asking Jesus to touch their infants, to, to bless them. And the disciples are saying, these, these kids are, they're a distraction. They're of no status and no good. Get them out of the way. And Jesus rebukes the disciples. Three teachings on status. And now this young man of much status comes to Jesus Christ and asks him, good teacher. I think several things are going on here. One, this is a, a wordplay from the mouth of this fair, from the rich young ruler. He's saying, Jesus, you're good because I know you're good because I'm good. I'm a man of status. And look how Jesus answers them. How does Jesus answer this man who is a man of much importance, much status in his life? Good teacher. Out of, out of all the ways that Jesus could answer this, right? The next Word out of Christ's mouth in verse 19 is, 
why do you call me good? How important is status to you? I think Jesus was asking, what gives you the right to determine that anything is good? But if you really want to play the game, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have what? Here's the promise of Christ. What did Jesus say to this young man? You have treasure in heaven. And he went away, what? He went away sad. Because I believe he was a man of much status. What would happen if he gives it all away? He's given away his status. How important is status to you today? Are you driving the car you're driving because you think that people will look at you and say, man, he's arrived. Maybe you're, maybe you're driving a, a hunk of junk because, you, because you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you wanna be known as this ascetic who, who you're achieving righteousness by having nothing. That's equally not fulfilling God's desire in your life. How important is status? You live in the neighborhood you live in because you wanna be known as the person who lives in that neighborhood. Because if I just live there, I'm in the in crowd. The man went away sad because I believe that his status mattered more than the Savior. Status mattered more than the Savior. Second theological truth Jesus asked us here. The question is the same question. This teacher, this, this young man goes to this teacher, Jesus, and asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the inherit is, is something you're awaiting a prized possession, something that's very valuable. And this is not a bad question. It's not a bad word. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter five on the, the Beatitudes. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 19 after this teaching with the rich young ruler that he says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left house or brother or sister or mom or dad, no one who's done that, well, they will inherit much in the kingdom of heaven. So why is Jesus now asking him to give up something very great in his life? I believe Jesus is asking this young man, not only how, how important is status, but how important is comfort. Now, I know I'm touching a lot of sensibilities here in, in the Western church, right? We, we are people who if it's 76 instead of 75, we're uncomfortable. And if it gets to 78, that's persecution. Satan must have come in this place, right? And ha don't you dare sit in my pew because it is contoured to my back in a way that is perfectly suited for worship. We love comforts. And I believe Jesus is asking this young man, how important is comfort? I, I really believe that this young man is asking Jesus, how can I have a comfortable life now and keep it all and have a comfortable life in heaven too? Really quiet right now, isn't it? Try to be me. I've been wrestling with this question all week. I believe this young man is asking Jesus, what can I do to keep my stuff now and inherit eternal life?
See, Jesus doesn't let us ask that question. How important is comfort in your life? I believe today's comfort is an eternal threat to spiritual generosity in your life. I believe, I believe comfort in my life is a spiritual threat to generosity. Am I saying that having a lot is, is evil? No. But it hit me again this week. I get so sad when I go to estate sales. One, because I don't like stuff. So just by nature, but there was a estate sale near my house and it looked like my grandfather's house and his property and made me sad because my grandparents are, they're all 80s now, all of our grandparents. And I, I walked through that house and I remember thinking this, there'll be a day where everything I own, and I was talking to a friend before, during this um, life group hour, everything I own will be sold for pennies on the dollar. You want my toothbrush? You can buy it. You want my belt? You can buy it. You want my books? You can buy it. You want the dog? You can buy him. You want the tractor or the implement? Whatever, everything, there'll be a day where everything I have, if I precede you in death, you can rummage through it and you can name a price. That tells me several things. One, the things that I value, you don't value them as much. Some of you, I know you're salivating. I have several cowbells <laughs> right now that will be sold probably for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> but what does that tell us about our stuff? It's insignificant. It's, it's walnuts. And, and how important is our comfort? Listen, there's nothing that I own that you one day will not go through and name a price. How important is our comfort? I believe that bigger houses and newer cars and the newest iPhone and, and having all the channels that are on TV and this and this and this and this, they're a threat to generosity in our life. You say, well, no, of course not. That's why we have so much consumer debts. That's why we have things that we have no business having because we can't afford them. We can't afford them for several reasons. One, we don't have enough money. And two, you can't afford them because you're not, we're not honoring Christ with what we have. So how dare I rob the, the Lord of his obedience and then buy what I want? My comfort, your comfort is an eternal threat to generosity. You say, well, no, of course not. That would not be. What if Jesus asked you to sell it all today? If we're honest, if I'm honest, that's not gonna be an easy gift, right? I mean, anyone else just being brutally honest? Anyone just wanna write a blank check? Say, God, if you take it all, Everything is yours anyway. Why? Because comfort is a threat spiritually. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. Today's comfort is an eternal threat to spiritual generosity. Third theological principle, and it's very simple. This man asked the same question, right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit, right? Give me comfort now and comfort later. I don't want hell because it's really hot and I like comfort. Give me heaven. But look what he says to Jesus. He says, good Teacher, she said, okay, where are you going with that? In Luke, every time someone uses the word teacher, it shows that they have a, they do not have a full grasp of who Jesus is. Teacher in Luke is never used in the mouth of a disciple. 
It's always used of someone who's not there yet. So the, by the fact that he says good teacher, it shows his inadequate understanding. Every time you hear someone use the word dis, uh, master, that's the word of a disciple. What word are you using today? Do you call Jesus master or teacher? I go to church because it's some pretty good stuff. I like to be learned. And you know what? The whole honor in your parents, especially on fifth Sunday, I can jump on that. And you're not committing adultery, not murdering. That's pretty good stuff. So good teacher. Jesus says that I'm more than a teacher. The, the principle we need to understand, are you a follower of Christ or not? Are you a follower of Christ? Is he teacher or master? You see, our identity to Christ leads to submission in Christ. Your identity in Christ leads to your submission to Christ. I cannot say Jesus is master and at the same hand say, oh, I'm not gonna listen to him. I'm not gonna obey him, right? I, will, I want to follow Jesus, I'm just not gonna follow him. No, are you a follower of Christ? Is he master or is he teacher? If you say, well, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I have not submitted my life to the King of Kings. Here is the glorious invitation of Jesus to you. Look at, look at how he invites this man who is not a follower of Christ. What's Jesus' response? Keep the law, you've done that good. One more thing, just sell it all. And do what? I know you're not a follower, but sell it all and follow me. Jesus invites this man to follow. So if you're here right now and you're not a Christ follower, I want you to know the same invitation that was offered this rich young man is the same invitation offered to you today. That if you submit to him, the King of Kings, you can be a follower. And it, there's no status worth comparing to King Jesus. And there is no comfort that is not worth giving up compared to Jesus Christ. And he wants you to follow him today. So before we talk about the practicality of giving, status, comfort, and following. Before you get those things right, nothing else matters. Now let's look at some practicality in giving. So how, how do we, if we say, well, I, I wanna be um, a man who follows Christ. I want to forsake status and, and serve. I'm I choosing Christ over comfort today. I'm putting a stake in the ground. How does that happen? One, we're called to live continually in obedience. So commit today to live in obedience. You say, well, how does that work? See, it was a sacrifice in the obedience of one man that brings righteousness to all. We are fundamentally... A group of people, if you are a Christ follower, you are fundamentally built upon obedience. And because he obeyed and we have righteousness, we can obey. And we are a, a worldview and a way built on obedience. You say, well, how does that look like? We're built on sacrificial obedience. In Genesis 4, before the law was even, even on the scene in the scriptures, we have a man named Cain and Abel. One, actually both men offer sacrifices. Why would they even think to do that? Because they understood 
that the fear of God is built on sacrifice and obedience. You fast forward to Abraham. Later in Genesis, he meets this king of righteousness, Melchi, this king of Zadok, this righteous guy, and, and he offers a tithe, a 10% of all that he has, Abraham, to this man. And his faith is commended in the New Testament, in Hebrews. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament affirming this tithe that he gives because it's a sacrifice. We're fundamentally built upon obedience. In Malachi, the Lord reminds his people that they are robbing him in Malachi 3.9. Obedience. In the New Testament, listen, you say, well, here we go. Pastor's asking for the tithe again. Something I've already alluded to. Jesus condemns in Luke 18, the Pharisee who is tithing because his heart is not built upon obedience and sacrifice. So even if you are here today and you are tithing, doesn't mean you're obeying. We are built on sacrifice and obedience. You see, Christ followers must commit to live in obedience and full surrender. That is key when we say, I'll follow you. The command to follow Jesus is the command to obey Jesus Christ. Will you commit your life to live in obedience? Second practical application for us is this. We're commanded to live generously. So I, you know, I don't like, I don't like this law stuff. Here is the glorious news. We are no longer under the law, Right? Hey, for those of you who have been freed from that bondage, something should well up within you and you say, yes, Jesus, we are no longer under the law. But because of that, we are now free to give generously, to give much more. Why did this young man go away sad? Because he had much. And that's what Luke says about it, but what was he really saying here? He valued his stuff more than he valued the Savior. He was not generous. He loved, one commentator translates it this way, he loved his money too much. In reality, he kept what he had, losing nothing. But spiritually, he lost everything. He was unwilling to live generously. He said, well, why does this matter? He was a law keeper, which meant he probably tithed. And he knew what the Jewish Scriptures would say, he, he knew then what the Jew, Jew, Jewish tradition said. Jewish tradition said, you cannot give more than 25% of your stuff. Well, that's just not prudent. That's not good and healthy. And Jesus was looking at this young man and said, I don't care what your tradition says. Live generously. Live generously. And, and because we are radically saved from the law, generosity in our lives is now an antidote to covetousness. It's hard for me to hang on to things and I give it away, right? That's why, I, that's when I don't loan stuff. I don't loan money. Look, don't, I'm not a bank. Don't come to me. If you're in need, I just feel like God's impressed our family to give because if I give, we give with open hands. I can't hold on to it. I, I, I don't want to write strings and say, well, I will give this, but you have to do this and this and this and this. You need to check up with me in 30 days. You need to live by this metric and all these things. That's not generous living, we should give with no strings attached. And even, this is just personally, even when I give to the church, and I know I'm the pastor, but I give with no strings attached. I don't give and say, I'll give if you do this. 
I give and say, church, you guys decide. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit working through the people of God. Do with it what you feel like the Lord is leading you. Because it's not mine anyway. That we would live generously. John Wesley says it this way. When a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now, if a man, if that man, when he gets all that he can and says all that he does, will not give all that he can, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than that man, says John Wesley. I I just firmly believe that generosity is not something that we do as Christ followers, it's who we are. It's who we are. And you say, well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because our Lord and Savior gave all for our sakes. He gave all for our sakes. Third, I believe we must pray intentionally. We must pray, and it's, it's okay to pray this prayer. God, give me more so I can give you even more. Right? God, don't give me to hoard, but give me to be a witness to the gospel throughout the whole world. I remember this year um, for the Great Day Offering, which is in, usually in May, and Great Day Offerings, when we, we spend one Sunday, we ask people to give sacrificially for missions. Not a penny of that stays in here. It all goes out there for the nations. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to write a check, and we'll just give what we gave last year. We're tithing, blah, 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 blah. And I remember as I was just going through the motions, the Holy Spirit hit me. I don't know how the whole, I don't know how God talks to you, but he knows I have to be hit. I'm just that guy, right? God doesn't knock at my door very politely. He hits me upside the head. I'm like, okay, Lord, I know it's you again. And I just remember the impression, Josh, why would you give a minimum? And I didn't have a response. And just knowing, God, I need to pray intentionally. And that, Lord, my prayer is that we could give more. And my wife and I have had this conversation that we want to give more this year than we've ever given to the gospel. And you know my prayer is next year? That we give more next year than we've ever given to the gospel. And you know what? And Eli's here. He's probably not listening. Um, But one day, our goal is not to leave for him a huge inheritance. That could probably do more damage than good anyway. And I tell my parents the same thing. If you give every penny you have to the gospel and leave me nothing, we celebrate. We celebrate. But, but I want us to pray intentionally that God would guide our hearts. Are you praying for God to bless you that so you can give more to the kingdom? Let me just say this though. Don't pray that prayer if you don't mean it. Because every time I pray that prayer, God asks. But he blesses. And I can't tell you the financial freedom that we've experienced as a family because we've prayed the prayer, God, the more you give us, the more we'll give. And we'll stand upon those promises. The freedom, the spiritual freedom of that prayer. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, in all my years of service to the Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed. The truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. It is beyond the realm of possibility that you have the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give me much more than I ever gave. Pray intentionally and last, trust him fully. Trust him 
fully. You see, this is the, this is the question this man was wrestling with. When he asked Jesus in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The response could really be rephrased this way. Do you trust me? And we know he went away sad because he didn't trust Jesus. What's the offer that Jesus gives him? Look at your scriptures together. What's, what's the offer that, that Jesus gives him in verse 22? He says, I will give you treasure in heaven, which will never be taken away. And you who are not a follower, right? You call me teacher, but you should be calling me disciple and master. You who are not a follower and have no treasure in heaven, I will give you treasure in heaven and you can follow me if you trust me. Do you trust Jesus Christ with your life? If you were to go back through your budget when you go home today, would it show that you trust Jesus Christ? Or do you trust in your strength alone? When you go back and you look at the bills, what does it say that we treasure? You know what our bills are say that we would treasure? Our house. It's the largest bill that we have. And although that's the largest bill that we have, one day there's nothing that's going to be left of that house. Not, not a splinter of wood. When Christ returns, there will be no foundation left. What do we treasure? What do you treasure? Are you willing to trust Christ fully to provide for your life? You see, giving for me and giving in the scriptures is not about God needing your money. God doesn't need your money, by the way. God, God is not sitting broke in heaven and just saying, you know what, if Joshua just give a little, then I could pay my light bill in heaven. I don't even know how much that would be. Um, one, I know there's not a light bill because the light is Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's really good. So I think it's free for you guys today, right? There's gonna be the sun and the moon in heaven. They're not gonna have a job. They're gonna be hanging out. They're gonna be like a picture, a mural on the wall, like a Thomas Kincaid picture. There's gonna be a day where you look at the sun and you're thinking, I, that thing used to do something, but I don't remember because the light of Christ is so bright. Think about that. Wow, what a savior that we have. Do you trust him fully with your life? It's not about your stuff. It's about your soul. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? So how do we go from here? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I can think of no better question that's ever been asked in the history of the world. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And you say, well, the answer is money. Why did Jesus talk about money? Why is this so important? Because money is our God. Some of you think, mm-mm, not mine. The most loving thing I can say to you today is the number one idol in your life is money. You might call it comfort. You might call it status. You might be like the Greeks and call it um, Demeter, or you might be like the Romans and call it Abundantia, or the Egyptians, Hapi, or Anuket, or even the Hindus, Lakshmi, which are all gods 
of luxury and wealth. From the foundation of the world, we have been worshiping comfort, status, stuff, and wealth. And may that not prevent us from fully surrendering to God today. So how how do we go home from here? Several thoughts as we conclude. First, if you're giving faithfully, let me just say this. Thank you. I don't know who gives what in this church, and I, I don't want to know. I, I will never know. That's not for me, and that's between you and the Lord. But if you have been giving faithfully and sacrificially, thank you for that. But let me say a word of caution to you also. Jesus has a word for someone who ties and has no heart for the kingdom. You know what that's called? A Pharisee. He says it right here in, in Luke 18. Someone who ties and keeps the law, but has not a heart for the kingdom. Beware that your giving puffs you up. Beware that your giving might puff you up. And maybe you need to spend time and and spend time in celebration today at the altar where you sit and say, God, thank you for, for letting me give sacrificially, but Lord, may I not give up. May I not stop there. May I give more and Lord, keep me humble. Maybe you're on the other side and you know you're not living according to what God wants in your life for generosity. Let me lovingly ask you first, are you a follower of Christ? Because if you are, you've committed to follow his way. So if you are a follower of Christ and you're not following him, what is keeping you from from following Christ fully? Now, let me be honest with you also. If you're not following Christ and you're living in rebellion, the Bible calls that sin. It's not, it's not excused. So, so what in your life is keeping you from living generous, generously? And let me remind you, we're not under the law. I'm not gonna say if you give this amount, then you're faithful. We are under grace. So what I get to say is, God, why would I stop there? Because you're so gracious. So you never stop graciously giving. Maybe you're in extreme debt this morning and you need to spend some time and repent of that and say, God, you will make a way and I trust you fully. Maybe your priorities are messed up. Maybe you've been pursuing status and comfort more than Christ and the Savior. Maybe you're like many of us, you just have a lot of bills. And maybe you need to spend time in prayer and saying, God, if I'm going to commit to prayerfully be a generous person because your son is generous. And Lord, I'm going to watch as you make a way. Because I know you will because I trust you. Will you commit today to be and live in obedience? And maybe you're here and you're not giving Maybe you're not in that category of giving faithfully and living righteously and you're not in the category where you're a Christ follower. Maybe you're in that third category and, and you made it here by mistake or someone drug you here or you were here to see a baptism and you say, well, I don't really, I can't jump on board with this Jesus Christ thing. Let me speak to you for about a minute. We see a young man who comes to Jesus who is not a Christ follower and Jesus invites him to follow the way. Over 84 times in the Gospels, Jesus' invitation is this. It's a very simple invitation. 
follow me. Follow me. Follow me. You know what the word follow me means? It means to walk along the same path. And you can't walk along the right path if you don't know the way. That's why Jesus says that he is the way. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, let me share with you what Jesus shares with us. You are not good. This young man tried, tried to paint that picture. He said, good teacher. And Jesus said, hey, 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 hey. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God. Now, I've, I've never seen God face to face, but I know none of us are him. None of us are good. And, and I am the chief of sinners. But here's the good news in your life. That while you were still living in sin, Christ Jesus died for you. He didn't say, well, if Joshua, once you start tithing, then I'll send my son to save you. No, while I was sinning, Jesus died. And if you trust in him fully, if you turn from your sin and trust him, his invitation is follow me. And today you don't have to leave here sad. You can leave here saved. And that is our prayer, that you would submit right where you sit, that you would bow your head and you would pray a prayer. It could sound something like this. God, I know I am not with you. I call you teacher and not master. And today I want you to be mine. And I believe that your son lived a sinless life, died on the cross for me, rose again, that I might have forgiveness and be made right. And today, Jesus, I submit my life to you, the King of Kings. Today, I accept the invitation to follow you. Let's pray.